God is doing amazing things. And I'm just, I'm so encouraged by people responding to the prompting of the Holy Spirit in our meeting. That I don't have to say, you know, come up if you've got a word or do something that you're just responding. I'm just so grateful for that. It just really is something that's been on my heart for years that we wanted to see where God moves and people respond. And I'm just feeling so great. So it just really excites me. Let's pray before I bring the word this morning. Father, you are speaking to us that we are here to encounter you, to encounter your presence, because you want to bring about a change in our lives. We don't gather for the sake of gathering. We gather because you call us together to be a family and to meet together, to encourage one another, to build one another up, to strengthen one another, to hear from you and to speak out what you are saying. And Father, I thank you that it's not just me and a one word during the day, a one word during the service that someone gets to share, whoever's preaching gets to share the word, but you speak to each one of us. And I thank you for those who have already spoken words that you've given to them, pictures, responses to that as well, Lord. So just open our ears now to hear from you, to receive what you have to say to us. Those that need to be set free, Father, set them free. Unlock that padlock. Unshackle the chains. And set us free as we hear your word today. Thank you. Holy Spirit, just use me now. Thank you. Amen. Now, the Kingdom is the preaching series that we're currently busy with. I began with the Kingdom, looking at the creation of the world and how the authority that God gave to man over all creation was deceitfully stolen by the devil. The second in the series was when I looked at the two kingdoms, speaking about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness, how the two kingdoms were very different from one another in size, power, and authority. And if you remember, I said you couldn't even compare them to you know, an, an elephant and a flea, the difference between those two animals, the sizes of God's kingdom and the devil's thiefdom, as I said. He also looked at where Satan came from and the reason for him being cast out of heaven. Then two weeks ago, I spoke of the three kingdoms, the kingdoms of power, grace, and glory. And I said the kingdom of power includes the entire universe and extends to every living thing. So that's everything that we can see and beyond what we can see. That is the kingdom of power. The kingdom of grace does not include all creation, but only those who have been born again through the preaching of the gospel, the good news of the kingdom. And thirdly, the kingdom of glory is not on earth, but in heaven, where Christ himself shall have all glory. And that's where we are destined for when we are born again, the kingdom of glory. Then last week I spoke on revelations of the kingdom, as found in the book of Exodus, drawing from Derek Morphew's book, Breakthrough, Discovering the Kingdoms. Exodus is the second book of the Old Testament, it's the account of the enslaved Israelites leaving Egypt to go to the promised land, as Jules spoke about as we we're doing communion. We saw how the ten plagues were ten times that God, that God, the God of the Israelites, our God, destroyed the gods of Egypt, eventually causing Pharaoh to release the Israelites. God then destroyed the army of Egypt when he released the 
the parted Red Sea through which the Israelites has, had passed. They released it back over the chariots and the army of Pharaoh's army, and they were destroyed. The invisible battle that had been won with the destruction of the gods of Egypt then manifested in the physical battle with the destruction of Pharaoh's army. There are more revelations of the kingdom in the Old Testament that we will get to look at as we work our way through this series. But today, I want to look at the king of the kingdom. And it's just so wonderful, the songs we've been singing have been about the king, about Jesus, about all that God is doing and God does in him. So, I want to look at the king of the kingdom. In the Garden of Eden, God revealed himself to Adam and Eve as he walked with them in the cool of the day. Once they sinned and disobeyed God, Adam and Eve hid from God when they heard him walking in the garden. Shortly after that, they were banished from the garden and the presence of God, they were removed from him, from the garden and God's presence. God reveals himself to a few other people through the book of Genesis, the first book of, of the Bible. He reveals himself to Noah, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They have brief encounters with God. But it isn't until we get to Moses that we see God having a protracted encounter with a man. Moses, an Israelite who was brought up by the daughter of Pharaoh and was like a prince in the courts of Pharaoh, had to flee Egypt because he killed an Egyptian who was beating one of the Israelite slaves. Moses fled to Midian, where he marries and is the shepherd of his father-in-law. It is while he is caring for the sheep that he has an encounter with God. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush. Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, and the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, but I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you, that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God 
on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 to 15. God grabs Moses' attention through the burning bush. The disease, it's burning, but it's not consumed, it's not burnt up. And this is a wonderful picture of how we are to be as sons and daughters of the living God. We are to be on fire with the presence of God within us, without burning up or burning out. But that's a message for another time. God gets Moses to come over to the burning bush, and then God has a conversation with Moses, revealing himself to Moses, not in his fullness, but as much as what Moses can handle at this time. And isn't God wonderful in that he doesn't overwhelm us with, his, with too much of himself, with too much of his presence, but just a little more than we can rashly comprehend because he wants us to move in faith. And so he stretches and builds our faith and our understanding of him. At the burning bush, God begins to reveal himself to Moses, beginning with revealing his divine name. Derek Morphew in Breakthrough, Discovering the Kingdom, says, The connection between the divine name and the revelation of the kingdom runs as a, th as a theme through Scripture. The revelation of the divine name constitutes the announcement of the coming reign of God. Inherent in the name of God is his nature to come down and intervene in the affairs of men. His intervention takes place at two levels. First, the spiritual, invisible, and then the military visible. The result of the two-dimensional battle is liberation for God's people. If we want to know and understand the kingdom, we have to know the nature and character of the king of the kingdom. The way the nature and character of the king is revealed to us is through the name of the king. Now, in the Hebrew culture, the naming of someone was more than just a choosing, or just more than just choosing a name. It was not something taken lightly or done flippantly. A name encapsulates the character of the person. And this is something foreign in our Western culture, especially among non-believers, where naming a child is often influenced more by popular society and social, social media than by family traditions or spiritual influences. Among believers, I do believe a bit more prayer, thought, and godly direction goes into naming our, our children, but not always. I know we spend time asking God what to name our children. He gave us names. He actually gave us Karen's name, gave Jill Karen's name before we were even married. And uh, she knew she would have a child and name her Karen. And she was reading through the book of Job, which as a baby Christian is not a great book to start off with, but God took her through the book of Job and right at the end, gave her, this is the name of the daughter that you are going to have. So we spend a bit more time than I think other people. When Moses said to God, when I say to the people of Israel, 
The God your father has sent to me, and they ask me, what is your name? What shall I say to them? He's effectively saying to God, what is your nature or character when he's asking God for his name? Then say, tell me who you are. God reveals who he is to Moses by saying, I am who I am. Okay, I am who I am. Now it gets a little bit technical here, so just bear with me. That's why I've got it up on the screen so you can see. In the original Hebrew, God's name transliterates to YHWH. Okay, you can't pronounce it. Sometimes written in the, in, in the older style of YHVH, the, the W and the V interchange. And this is known as a tetragrammaton, meaning four letters in the Greek. Because of the lack of vowels, Bible scholars debate how the tetragrammaton, Y-H-W-H, is pronounced. The tetragrammaton consists of four Hebrew letters, Yod, He, Wa, or Yah, He. Four letters. Dale R. Howry of Front Porch Theology has this to say about it. The original spelling was Y-H-W-H, and as time passed, as religion is prone to do, the priest began to say the name was too holy to speak. However, the problem was not that it was too holy, but that it was unpronounceable. With no vowels, it is more a sound than a word. It is the sound of inhaling and exhaling. It is simply the sound of breathing. It was derived from the, the verb higher, to be. This would make it a causative verb with the meaning he causes to be or he will cause to be. How more intimate and involved could our God be to us, giving us life in every breath? As you breathe in and breathe out, you're breathing the name of God. Isn't that amazing? Mickelson's Enhanced Strong's Greek and Hebrew Dictionary gives this definition to the word higher. It's a verb. So it's something that we do, something that happens. It means to exist, to be or become, to come into being. That is to happen, to occur. Always emphatic, not a mere copula or auxiliary, copula joining. It doesn't just join, it's, it's more than that. It's something that happens. Derek Morphew in Breakthrough, Discovering the Kingdom, says, whatever the, its pronunciation, its meaning is much more significant. It derives from the Hebrew verb to be, I am which carries the unique ability to refer to being in the past, present, or future tense. Isn't that wonderful? We know, we, we say God is, God is, God will be, and God will always be. He was, He is, and He always will be. And that's where it comes from. Hence, when Moses asks about the divine name, the reply, I am, can be translated, I was who I was, I am who I am, or I will be who I will be. And they are capitalized because it's speaking of God. One could say that the word carries the idea of being dynamically present or coming to be present. It signifies that God has entered the situation. He has invaded history. He is manifestly present. He is now present. He is in a special sense. It introduces us to the profound theme of the God who comes to his people. All other religions strive to reach their God. Christianity is the only religion where God comes to his people. If one could put the whole meaning, meaning field of, of this name in context into a sentence, it would be, I was, I am, and I will be. 
from generation to generation to becoming present, the becoming present one, coming down into the situation of man to deliver and transform from bondage to liberty. I'll read that again. I was, I am, and I will be, from generation to generation, the becoming present one, coming down into the situation of man to deliver and transform from bondage to liberty. Just what we've been speaking about, just what God spoke to us about through those words, shackles breaking, locks being unlocked. God wants to set us free. That's what he does. That's who he is. God, the king of the kingdom, was, is, and will always be, and he'll always be involved in redeeming mankind from eternal death and destruction because he is the one who created us and loves us and has always had a plan to rescue us from our sin. God wants to be involved in our lives, not to control us, but to redeem us and give us freedom and life in abundance. He's not a God of control. He's a God of freedom when we are in him. The passage that we read earlier, Exodus 3, 1 to 15, is a wonderful picture of what God does repeatedly throughout Scripture, hearing the cries of mankind, of his people, rescuing them from their sin, slavery, and affliction, and leading them into paradise or into their holy land where they can have a living relationship with him. And as you read through Scripture, you'll see that time and time and time again where that's the situation. It keeps on going over and over. God created us, mankind, to be in relationship with him and to live in his presence in paradise. That was the original plan. God wants to be involved in our lives. He doesn't want to be kept out of our everyday living. The Garden of Eden is where we are supposed to be. But man's sin prevented that from continuing and separated us from God. But because God is love, and we'll see that as we go through this series, that God is love, he loves us. And because his desire is to have a living relationship with us, he sets in place the rescue plan to take us out of our sin and slavery and deliver us into the promised land, just like he did with the Israelites, setting them free from slavery in Egypt and leading them into the promised land, and along the way revealing more and more of who he is to his people. I want to conclude by reading a passage from a book, The Shack, by Paul Young. I don't know how many of you read it when it came out. It's an amazing, it's an allegory, it's a story. That, that he wrote, it's something that God gave him, and it just, there's a great depiction of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the interaction between God, the three in one, and it's one of the best descriptions that I've, that I've seen of it, and really touched my heart when I read it many years ago, and I just want to, to read this. Sarayu smiled. Sarayu is a picture of the, the Holy Spirit. Mackenzie is the person who he's talking to. I will take a verb over a noun any time. I, she opened her hands to include Jesus and Papa, I am a verb. I am that I am. I will be who I will be. I am a verb. I am alive, dynamic, and ever active and moving. I am a being verb. And as my very essence is a verb, she continued, I'm more attuned to verbs than nouns. Verbs such as confessing, repenting, living, loving, responding, growing, reaping, changing, sowing, running, dancing, singing, and on and on. Humans, on the other hand, 
have a knack for taking a verb that is alive and full of grace and turning it into a dead noun or principle that reeks of rules. Something growing and alive dies. Nouns exist because there is a created universe and physical reality. But if the universe is only a mass of nouns, it is dead. Unless I am, there are no verbs. And verbs are what, make, what makes the universe alive. For something to move from death to life, you must introduce something living and moving into the mix. To move something that is only a noun to something dynamic and unpredictable, to something living and present tense, is to move from law to grace. We'll read that last bit again. For something to move from death to life, you must introduce something living and moving into the mix. To move something that is only a noun to something dynamic and unpredictable, to something living and present tense, is to move from law to grace. We don't live under law, we live under grace. The king of the kingdom is the great I am, who was and is and is to come. He has revealed himself, he is revealing himself, and he will reveal himself to us once more. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we're just so grateful and thankful that you reveal yourself to us. That we can know you because you come and show yourself to us. You come and live among us. You come and fill us with your presence. And you show us glorious and wonderful things. You were, you are, and you'll always be. You're without beginning and without end. We thank you that you've invited us to be your children. To lead us and guide us. Help us to get to know you better. To know you more intimately. To know you so closely that we never want to be out of your presence. Thank you, Father. Amen. Amen. Discussion questions. Okay, we're around the table. First one, what did God say to you through this message? What did God say to you through this message? Secondly, how has God revealed himself to you in your life and walk with him? What are the ways that God's done that? Thirdly, and this is one I'd really like you to get to. Thirdly, have you ever practiced breath prayers? If yes, have you ever used YHWH, Yahweh, as a breath prayer? If you haven't, spend some time, do it. Just quieten yourself, okay? Just sit in God's presence. Just open your hands, close your eyes, and then just breathe in and breathe out with that. Okay, just do that quietly, quietly and, do it, and just spend some time doing that. And then pray for one another. Okay, we've got 15 minutes for this. But don't rush it, especially the last thing. So. Thank you.